On this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast, I'm joined by Chris Lacey to discuss the love sexy centerpiece, Anesthesia. Welcome to the show for the very first time, Chris. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Excited to have you on. I mean, I've seen you around on social media and other, uh, like on YouTube shows. Like you said, you, you've been on the, the Michael Dean podcast and mm-hmm. been on Aloy LaSanta's Prince's Friends show on YouTube. So, um, you know, this is where to the Love Sexy era. I know this is kind of like one of your favorite albums based off of, you know, the uh, stuff that I've seen and stuff that you've written about. But uh, as a first time guest to the show, I would like to give you the opportunity to kind of tell the listener a little bit about yourself, your Prince origin story, so to speak. And, you know, what, what got you into into Prince and his music? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my story with Prince starts like any other story when, when it comes to music. Uh, my mom uh, was, you know, raised on Prince, Michael Jackson, you name it, anything throughout the 70s and 80s and, and 90s of music uh, she raised me on. And uh, early on, I can remember, you know, listening to Kiss and 1999. I remember I had faint memories of those songs on the radio, but as a kid, uh, for most of my life, I was just hooked on Michael Jackson for the longest. And uh, it wasn't until I was 14 or 15 years old, I was watching the the, the 1989 Batman movie because I had never seen it uh, at that time. And I remember just watching it through until the end credits. And, you know, it's got uh, Danny Elfman score during the end credits and it automatically goes into Scandalous. And I remember I just stopped what I was doing. And I thought to myself, who the heck is this? Like, I've never heard anything like this before. <laughs> and then as it got towards the end of the credits, I see Scandalous by Prince. And I'm like, that's so that's the same guy that did Kiss in 1999. I'm like, OK, I need to do my homework on this guy. And uh, and then shortly after that, I'm introduced to Purple Rain. And, you know, and then the, the very best of Prince uh, compilation that came out in 2001. And I'm thinking, OK, like, you know, I'm starting to get more familiar with you know, the hits and stuff, but now, now I want more. So then fast forward, you know, over a couple of years and my mom surprises me with, uh, uh, tickets to go see him for my 21st birthday. And, uh, let's see, this would have been the welcome to America tour. And he happened to come into town, uh, in, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina in, uh, March, 2011. And, uh, again, i still have somewhat cursory knowledge of Prince. It's, you know, strictly, you know, like hits material type stuff. And um, and I'm hearing him like, you know, go through all these different songs. And I mean, at this point, he's 52, 53 years old and I'm, you know, 21. And I'm thinking this this guy has ridiculous amount of energy. And uh, I mean, he rocked the house for three and a half hours. And sure enough, and I, I lost my mind when this happened is uh, he snuck in scandalous into the set list so i jumped out of my seat and i started singing along to it and my mom was like how do you know that song and i told her <laughs> after the show i was like this is what really got me into prince years ago and and i never shared that with you until until now she's like okay i think you're you're officially hooked <laughs> so, yeah yeah um so cool. ever since then uh he's the reason i started buying records on vinyl he's the reason i picked up a bass guitar and he's also the reason why i started taking my music journalism seriously and, uh, you know, I had written pieces for albumism.com for years and then I'd started venturing out doing my own thing. And like you said, I've appeared on other shows, you know, Michael Dean, uh, Prince's Friends, you know, uh, Purple Kurt podcast as well. Um, so, you know, it's just I, I enjoy being part of this community and, and figuring out, OK, you know, 
what is it about prints that fascinates you? And, and let's talk about what we like or what we don't like. And, you know, and then just, you know, just have fun with it. So that, mm-hmm. that's my print story in a nutshell. Cool, cool. Thanks for sharing. And yeah, having fun with it is what it's all about for me. I mean, this mm-hmm. this podcast intended to help me, give me an avenue to explore Prince's lyrics in a way that I've never done before, but also to have fun, reach out to the community, talk to people that are into his music like I am, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's not everybody on the street you can walk up to him and have like a deep, meaningful conversation about the lyrics to anesthesia. So exactly. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is this is I mean, there's a there's a small percentage of us that can do that. And you have to find them, you know, because we're not we're not, you know, you're not necessarily your next door neighbors. Right. So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, Anesthesia is the song that we're talking about today. It it is a really important song in terms of like I I called it like the centerpiece in my intro. Right. Literally and figuratively like the centerpiece, like it's smack dab in the middle of a love sexy album. Mm-hmm. As far as the track listing, it's number four out of nine. And, uh, of course, anybody who's familiar at all with the Love Sexy Tour from 1988 understands its its prominence and place on in the, in the set list in terms of how it was designed to be like the finale of Act One um, when Prince finally kind of understands, you know, his, his purpose and how he wants to uh, maybe deliver a more positive message in the second half with you know songs that he recorded for love sexy album and maybe some of his earlier songs that had a a positive message the first half of the the concert being very you know um dance and 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 sex and kind of like some of the more quote-unquote nastier prince songs that people still love i mean nothing not to say like he's demonizing those songs he still like to play erotic city i mean <laughs> he played yeah <laughs> throughout his career but he's just saying like this is a side of me and i want to maybe push forward another side of of me in the second half of the song of second half of the set and anesthesia was the song that kind of uh punctuated that that act one you know mm-hmm. and and gave us the um opportunity to understand where he was going with act two uh do you have any i mean as far as the love sexy tour obviously you, you were too young i didn't see it in real time mm-hmm. so i don't know we don't have any memories that we can share about the tour but i have you seen any kind of and i mean i know you've heard the tour i mean we shared mm-hmm. some stuff back and forth a, a few weeks ago but have you seen a video of the tour before chris yes yes i do have the uh the the dortmund show and uh man that i mean the the whole setup everything about it just blew me away and uh when i was on prince's friend's uh youtube channel a couple years ago i said that the love sexy tour uh and and the album in general like that was the album that was the whole his whole career had been bending up uh, had been pointing up to that moment and uh you know this album was the one that he was born to make i i I know i'm kind of stealing a slogan from uh, from emancipation but that's how i feel about love sexy like everything that he had been through was pointing to that moment and um yeah, I love how Act One, like you said, it was more lustful, you know. So you have like you know, erotic city, head, sister, jack you off, all that stuff, and then it's all you know. And then you get a couple of the black album cuts, you know, super funky, Califreds are sexy, and uh, and then Bob George was one of my favorite songs, and then now you have Anesthesia at the middle of all this, and I mean he's you know, and then for the second half you just have the you know more 
you know, bright, you, you have the brightness of the Love Sexy album in general. And it's just, it, it's a great, uh, it's musical theater for the mind as you watch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Bob so. George was the song that was played typically right before anesthesia, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he kind of gets, he gets uh, shot on stage yeah. and, and he kind of turns into this like cathartic moment when he sings the song. Because the song, as we go through the lyrics, you kind of will, will paint a picture where the song doesn't, it isn't, uh, it's almost like telling a story. Like it's almost like a parable in a way. The song's lyrics are in, in some ways, yeah. I think. And so there's there's a story to be told even in the lyrics of this particular song, as opposed to just being like, you know, uh, a really positive and spiritual message from from you know the first word, which mm -hmm. it ne isn't necessarily is. Which kind of makes the song really interesting and fascinating. Like it's it's a little bit in my mind a little bit like temptation from around the world in a day in some yeah. ways yeah i think it's i think this song does it better i think it delivers the message a little bit better but temptation was kind of like that where it starts off he's you know talking about he has a lot of lust animal lust you know and he's first half of the song he's he's singing about how filled with lust he is and then the mm -hmm. second half of the song is him being basically scolded by God for, for being the way yeah. he is. <laughs> and here, I think he's coming to the conclusion a bit more on his own, That's as right. opposed to having God telling him, like, he doesn't understand the difference between love and sex or love mm -hmm. and lust. Uh, of course, the the title of the song, Anesthesia, so it's mm -hmm. two words. It's like a personification of of the word anesthesia. Which, you know, we we can, when we think of that word, we think of like pain relief or numbness or mm -hmm. something like that, something along those lines. Like you're kind of unconscious when you're under anesthesia. Uh, to I mean, it's usually typically used in um, you know the medical field <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to for surgeries and things of that nature. But I think he Prince is using a, obviously a play on words here to a bit describe you know, maybe the feeling of, of being numb, uh, an unfeeling in your life. Um, mm -hmm. and this is becomes clear as we go through the lyrics, I think. So, yeah. Uh, in terms of the, the song overall, Chris, before we get started with the lyrics, what's your, what's your feeling about just like the song in general, how it's placed on the album? Do you have any, um, just kind of opening thoughts about how you feel about this song? Is it one of your favorites from Love Sexy? Yeah, uh, I would argue that it is the best song on the album. To me, there's a difference between, uh, you know, greatest or favorite or best. Um, I know that Anesthesia wasn't chosen as a single on this record, and it's a shame that it wasn't because to me, had it been chosen as a single, it would have made the whole love sex the love sexy concept make more sense to a lot of people that, you know, that were kind of taken aback by the album cover. They're like, okay, you know, what is this supposed to be? his heart and soul is laid bare on this record. Um, and, and I, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the title in particular and how it's uh, you know, it's a play on words, you know, for the medical term, you know, anesthesia. Um, because to me, what, what I get from this is that when you know the context of what he went through in his life uh, personally and professionally leading up to this point, he was numb to, uh, you know, like it just seemed like he was on this constant search for lasting happiness and he kept putting it in different things and wasn't getting fulfillment from it. So now he's just like, okay, I have no other choice. 
you know, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna surrender to you, Jesus, to you know, to help, you know, save me from myself because I've tried all these other things and it's not working. And I think that that's a universal truth that everyone, like everyone in, at some point in their life has felt that moment of like, okay, I just feel like I can't do anything right. You know, I, you know, I, I think this is going to make me feel better, but it doesn't, it just makes things worse. So I think that's why this song resonates with a lot of people. And I think that's why it is the best song on the record. Yeah. And, and when you said that, it made me think of, you know, obviously anesthesia is the medical term, but you could also replace that with really kind of any drug mm-hmm. that that one might use to numb pain. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of hardcore drug users, people who get addicted to drugs, use it, I think, because they they have a lot of pain in their life. And this is their way of of coping. This is their coping mechanism. And it ends up just taking over their lives instead of just only being a coping mechanism. Then, of course, it can destroy their lives. But I think a lot of them start off with with that intent. Like, I need something like my life is just too hard to bear right now. And I need a, a way to to numb the pain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, illicit drugs are are the easy solution or even just like overuse of alcohol, for example. Yeah. So it has another, I think, another meaning there too, even though he doesn't explicitly state that. Right, right. And and I think for him, he chose a, a healthier alternative, which was his music. And I think that's what separates him from, you know, from the other greats is that, I mean, he he lived, breathed, and died music. I mean, like it was it was it was his life. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at his skill set, look at his, you know, complete body of work. And Lord only knows what else is left in the vault. Hopefully we'll get to see much of that <laughs> before we before we're dead and gone. But you can clearly tell that music was his drug of choice. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're the we're the, the beneficiaries of that. Us, exactly. The, you know, the fam, the fans, the listeners. We we benefited from his his drug of choice, I guess, for <laughs> yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah. So the song starts out, I mean, really kind of reiterating what we've already talked about and kind of alluded to with the discussion about him or the character Prince is playing in the song, really feeling pretty down, uh, down and out and searching for something, anything that can that can numb the pain. So the opening lines of the song are, have you ever been so lonely that you felt like you were the only one in this world? Have you ever wanted to play with someone so much you'd take anyone, boy or girl? And this kind of speaks to me a little bit, or just basically says the same thing we've been talking about. Like he's saying he's been so lonely. Mm -hmm. You were the only one in the world. I mean, obviously being surrounded by people. And I'm not necessarily saying like this is, this is Prince, you know, this is how we felt. He might have, I don't know. But mm-hmm. even if he's just writing a, a, you know, a fictional story about somebody who is lonely and searching for something, searching for anything that can make them feel good, mm-hmm. to feel like you're the only one in this world, when we know, like, this world has got, <laughs> it's a very well-populated, uh, from, a, from, you know, a human standpoint, there's the population of the human race on this planet is, 
you know, growing exponentially all the time. So mm -hmm. literally, you know, of course, you're not the only one in this world. And if, if you live in a city, you're surrounded by people 24-7. Uh, yeah. You live in an apartment complex, you could, you know, if there was no walls between you, there might be another person 20 feet away. But you've got like these walls in between your apartment and their apartment, and you don't even realize that they're there. But that doesn't mean anything. You could still obviously be very, very lonely if you don't have any connections with other human beings in the way that you're you're wanting and so this opening lines these opening lines kind of speak a little bit more to like almost using sex as a way to connect even if it's not you know mm -hmm. you don't actually connect it's like a it's like a physical craving for human interaction and you're trying to alleviate that through through casual sex is that kind of what you get from it too chris um yeah yeah i i, I do get that um it, it, if there is a more autobiographical approach to this um i think that there's so like this is one of the things i i, I enjoy about prince's work is that he was an economic songwriter he could say so much with so little space uh that's one of the things i really love about little red corvette is that you know again he could say so much with so little space so in this lyric, if it is more of an autobiographical approach, um, you got to think by by 1988. I mean, he has tons of privileges that others don't. I mean, he has wealth, fame, uh, you know, pleasure. You know, with different women that he's been with, he's got power. You know, luxurious homes, uh, reputation for wisdom. You name it. I mean, anything that he's ever wanted, he has. You know, at his disposal. Yet he's still wrestling with like, okay, you know, does does my life have any meaning, you know, because you, you also got to think of the criticism that he was getting at this time, especially from uh, from black critics who felt that he had abandoned his roots, uh, you know, around the Purple Rain era and then going into Around the World in the Day and then Parade. And, you know, here he is with Sign of the Times, like that's his, you know, return, you know, that this is black, uh, back to black moment in a way. And yet it's still not enough. You still have grumblings from people. So I think what's packed up into this uh, this opening lyric is all the stuff that he's been through in his life along with feeling misunderstood. You know, like he feels like he's, you know, he's doing everything he can to be, you know, his authentic self and it's still not enough, um, which I've wrestled with in my life where I've learned that if you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. And I think that this is his, you know, come to Jesus moment of like, okay, I've done all I can do it and I, I it's still not enough. I still feel unsatisfied. I feel empty. I feel lonely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this was by all accounts, uh, you know, the 86, 87 period, even though he had some critical successes with sign of the times, I mean, sign of the times was a, a, a popular album from a critical standpoint. It won back a lot of fans maybe that had fallen off, but you know, I mean, from a, personal standpoint he's had a couple failed relationships at this point in his life mm -hmm. and you know the black album i mean i covered all that with the right you know the last set of podcasts but that's obviously been widely communicated and and discussed about the the dark place that he was in when he was recording a lot of this music and mm -hmm. then um this is the out the output of that. So this was the song was recorded in January of 1988. Black album was supposed to be released in December 87. So mm -hmm. it wasn't that long after. I mean, after he had decided to pull the black album, 
that this whole album was recorded. And I've, I've said this in other episodes. This was a really, I don't want to say thrown together because that makes it sound like there was very little thought put into it. But right. this this album was recorded, well, probably written mostly too, but we don't know that for a fact, but definitely recorded all in less than two months in right. uh, December, January of 87, 88. So mm-hmm. he, this is all this stuff, all this, this pain and, and darkness that he had been experiencing in the recent past was still pretty fresh in his mind. I got to think like, this is, this is not stuff. This isn't ancient history for him yet. This is still pretty fresh. The wounds are still pretty fresh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And, um, and, and I agree with you, uh, you know, this wasn't, you know, an album like this, like you don't throw it together. I mean, I, I mean, there's, there's others that could, and it probably wouldn't sound as, as great as this, but, but I think that speaks to his insane work ethic. I mean, and, and just the constant creativity that was coming out of him at that, at that time, um, you know, for him to put it together a record this complex yet uh, accessible to a lot of people. I mean, that that's truly a gift. Mm-hmm. In such a short amount of time, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, that's that's kind of like the introduction to the songs or introduction to the songs lyrics. He, he kind of uh, sings them pretty quietly and. You know, the piano's kind of moving slowly at this point. We don't get the big kind of bombastic music that, that goes along with the song until we hit the chorus. Anastasia, come to me, talk to me, ravish me, liberate my mind. Tell me what you think of me, praise me, craze me, out the space and time. And the chorus is, anesthesia come to me talk to me ravish me liberate my mind tell me what you think of me praise me craze me out this space and time so that's the chorus and uh chris i wanted to get your thoughts on the chorus this is where we're introduced to the title of the song and the concept anesthesia what what are your overarching thoughts about the chorus and what it's trying to convey to the listener yeah, this is uh, his cry for help. You know, I, I think he he's pretty blunt about where he is. He's like, all this, you know, whatever I'm feeling on the inside, I'm just looking for some sort of escape. And um, when I'm listening to it, it's as if he's got his hands clenched together and, his, you know, his eyes are closed. And it's as if he's, you know, praying out loud, you know, like he's just saying, I, I, I need help in some sort of way, you know. So, uh, you know, just you know, take me out of this space and time, take me somewhere else. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. It's a cry for help. But I think, I mean, do you think that he's crying for help to the wrong people, to the wrong things still at this point? Like when he's saying anesthesia, come to me, ravish me, liberate Mm -hmm. my mind. I always got like, he's, he's asking for help, but not in the right places. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that like, you know, like we talked about before, he's, He's got all these different things at his disposal that he's trying to find lasting happiness in, and yet it's fleeting. You know, it's not, you know, it may temporarily satisfy him, but it's not going to satisfy him forever. So he's just grasping at straws at this point. He's like, okay, you know, whatever I can get my hands on to take my mind off this pain, you know, I'll do it. So I, I agree with you. He, he, yeah, he's reaching out to, to the wrong sources of happiness. Yeah. Tell me what you think of me. Praise me. Craze me. So, you know, when, when I think of that, I think of somebody who's really kind of doesn't have or doesn't have a strong opinion of themselves. 
mm-hmm. or they they are needing and wanting uh, praise and approval from others where mm-hmm. like it should be I mean yes in theory we should all it should all come from within us right I mean that's that's the cliche like all of us shouldn't need the approval and praise of other people to do what we think is best for us mm-hmm. or to continue following whatever path or muse that we have in our lives but you know we're also all human beings and we all still want that and need that from others. It doesn't necessarily have to be from everybody, but as long as we get some sort of approval or praise from the right people in our lives, like we all want, we all seek that out from our parents uh, as we grow up, or at least, you know, whoever are the uh, authority figures, adult figures in our lives as we're kids. Um, and at this point, you know, princes, you could almost look, read into that to be a little bit like, how you had expressed earlier about his um, kind of losing a little bit of his black audience during like albums like Around the World in a Day and maybe mm-hmm. Parade, uh, Praise Me, Tell Me What You Think of Me could also be a, a little bit of a comment about him missing some of that, um, you know, that praise that he was getting early on in his career from his own, you know, his own community. So mm-hmm. I can see a little bit of that coming out of this chorus as well and I, I lines like liberate my mind out this space and time i get a little bit like a little bit of uh allusions to drug use again mm-hmm. you know when mm-hmm. people say like they're high on drugs or they're on drugs they feel out of their mind or you know that takes them out of their their you know the existing place in their mind and elevates them to a different plane of existence even if it's just you know hallucinatory or drug induced so i get a little bit of imagery from those lines as far as drug use as well yeah yeah i'm i'm right there with you 100 that, that's also what i get from the from from that part uh from the course yeah okay all right um anything else about the course you want to talk about before we move on uh no the, uh, i'm saving it for for the second verse because that's when <laughs> things get pretty interesting <laughs> yeah yeah so now the song is kind of ramped up more you know and it's it's at its pace and it's at its flow that it's going to be for most of the song until we reach the climax between one black night and day black night seem like the only way so i dance music late music late nothing great nothing great no way to differentiate so the next next lines of the song are between white and black night and day Black seemed like the only way. So I danced. Music late, nothing great. No way to differentiate. I took a chance. This sounds like almost like a poem to me. Like he's writing a little bit, or almost like a journal entry in mm-hmm. some ways. <laughs> and I, I like I like how he switches up his his structure of the of the verses throughout the song. He like he sometimes he just speaks them, sometimes he sings them. Sometimes there's only four lines, sometimes there's more. So with this line, he's doing a lot of like comparison, uh, black and white, night and day, using that imagery to, I think, a little bit express what he's going to talk about further on in the song with light kind of representing God and and black necessarily in some ways in this context, talking about the devil 
mm-hmm. or just the frame of mind too, like a light frame of mind versus a dark frame of mind. People right. say you're you're in a dark place. That's that's a negative thing. So I I get a little bit of that there. So what did what do you what do you like about this verse, Chris? Yeah, um, you you touched on it quite a bit. Is that uh, just how poetic it is? Um, you know, and again, it speaks to his pen game. I mean, for him to be able to create vivid images in your mind as you're listening to it uh, is the mark of a great storyteller. And um, yeah, he's he's wrestling with, uh, you know, like you said, light and dark, uh, you know, and then for him, so I danced. Uh, that speaks to me as a dancer. I've found, you know, uh, a, you know, dance to be therapeutic if I'm you know, in a dark frame of mind, all I have to do is just, you know, I could throw on a song, start dancing. And then now I, I feel refreshed in a way whenever I'm done and I can look at things with a clearer sense of perspective. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very positive way to, you know, kind of get out some of the, the negative energies that you have people exercise, dancing, just, you know, performing any kind of performance, drawing, whatever it takes. It's like using art to kind of shake out some of the the cobwebs so to speak mm-hmm. and it, like black knight seemed like the only way so that line i get uh, a little bit like he's already chosen a path he's he's chosen black knight because he felt like you know this dark path of his was the only way and i saw this on the org so i'm not going to take credit for it mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't remember who said it but somebody wondered like if if this was an allusion to the black album yeah um and so it makes sense to me if if it was, considering again this is written less than a month after he pulled the black album, and he was already, you know, apologizing for it in the mm-hmm. in the video for Alphabet Street. Alphabet so, Street, yeah, yeah, a little bit like Black Knight seemed like the only way, or like the stuff that I was saying, like maybe code for the stuff that I was saying in the black album seemed like the only way to, you know, express myself at that time. Mm-hmm. So I danced. So dancing again. A lot of those songs are are funk dance jams. I mean, mm-hmm. super funky, Califragio, sexy, La Grind, Cindy C. I mean, for the most part, that album's filled with just like danceable tracks um, from from you know beginning to end, with the exception of when two are in love. And Bob George isn't much of a dance song either. <laughs> yeah. From that standpoint. But uh, yeah, I mean, it could be considered both ways. I think. Yeah, and um, uh, towards the later end there where it says music late, nothing great, no way to differentiate, I took a chance. Um, to me, it also speaks to that night, uh, December 1st, 1987, when he goes to Rupert's. Uh, that's uh, a Minneapolis dance club, or a Minneapolis uh, dance club, and that's where he met Ingrid Chavez for the first time. And, uh, and he's also, you know, there with a test pressing of the Black Album. He's trying to get a, a, a feel for... Um, you know, how the crowd will respond to this music. And, um, and then it, for, for, for those that, that I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks already know the story, but um, Susan Rogers had shown up to Paisley Park later that night uh, after Prince had called her. And uh, she said that his eyes looked dilated as if he was on some kind of drug or something. And, um, you know, so I wonder if that, you know, that, all, all that stuff that happened that night is that also packed into this part of the song what do you think mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think the lines in this this verse are fascinating because they are kind of oblique without any kind of context 
so like you and I, we know, and a lot of listeners know these stories. Right. So we can we can apply some of the stuff that might have been the influence for these lyrics. But without that context, these lines can, I mean, they're they're really kind of hard to to really kind of understand. They're hard to mm-hmm. parse through, hard to um, figure out what he's trying to say, like took a chance on what. You don't know that. So without all of that, all of this context that we have as avid readers of Prince books and listeners of Prince podcasts and mm-hmm. <laughs> interviews, we know stuff that not people especially in 1988 didn't know who were listening course, to this yeah. for the yeah. first time so i think without all that this this first can seem like a little difficult to understand a little difficult to kind of understand where he's going with lines like music late nothing great to, even without the context it kind of sounds like you know dancing going out late to music mm-hmm. it wasn't inspired by it maybe nothing great being played on the you know by the dj at the time no way to differentiate meaning like they all kind of sounded the same uh there wasn't anything that he considered um unique or groundbreaking so he took a chance and maybe that's his way of explaining the writing of the black album like i took a chance i I did this thing bob george wasn't something that you know any of my peers had been doing nobody's making a song like bob george Mm -hmm. uh unless you were like even like rappers at that time there was a few and far between that were making quote unquote gangster rap at that in 1986. So he took a chance. He took a chance. And ultimately he decided that he didn't want to put it out there, but I wonder if that's what he's talking about. Yeah. And and to your point, I think even without the the context, it it, it is difficult to discern what he's saying. So I think if, if you're, you're looking at it as someone who is struggling to to find their identity you know trying to make sense of life um what what you could take from that is okay so i danced i'm turning to dance and music something that i am familiar with and yet i'm i'm still unfulfilled and now i'm having to you know reach for something more i have to take a chance on on Mm -hmm. something else because it's not fulfilling me yeah that's that's basically what you have to kind of take away from it if you don't have the stories and the information we have mm-hmm. but but because we do we can look at it from two different angles which is always fun yeah that's for sure that's the uh the benefit of doing this and going through these after 30 plus years of <laughs> stories coming out and people talking and interviews yeah. we have a little <laughs> more information that we that we would have 34 years ago gregory looks just like a ghost and then a beautiful girl the most wet lips to say All right, so the next verse, so he goes right into the next verse, uh, no chorus in between. And the lines are, Gregory looks just like a ghost, and then a beautiful girl the most, wets her lips to say, we could live for a little while if you could just learn to smile. You and I could fly away, fly away. All right, so Chris, what uh, what do you see here that you wanted to point out? I mean, there's some interesting lines here, and I've I've struggled a little bit with 
this verse myself. So I'm interested to see what you have to say. Yeah, uh, if we're looking at the the lyrics themselves, again, it, it could be a bit of a head scratcher. You're like, okay, who's Gregory? Why does he look like a ghost? You know, uh, who's this beautiful girl that he speaks of? And you know, and and what she says after that. I mean, you know, it it is pretty heartwarming. You know, to be like, okay, well, you know, if I, you know, if I could learn to smile, if I could learn to find, you know, uh, a more positive outlook on life, then, you know, I won't feel so down in the dumps like I am right now. Um, but so if I were to, you know, again, add the context that we do know, Gregory Brooks, uh, who was part of the, you know, the Sign of the Times band, he's, he's been around, well, I think even before that, you know, Parade, and I think a little bit of uh, Purple Rain, he was around for that too. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, you know, this is uh, the aftermath of him experimenting with ecstasy. Uh, I know some folks, I, I know that that's a, a divisive topic for some folks. Some folks think that he did. Other folks think that he didn't. Um, but I think this, this is a reference to what he had mentioned in the album opener. I know he says, you know, the reason why my voice is so clear is because there's no smack on my brain. So I think this is him, you know, saying, hey, you know, I, this is the aftermath of me experimenting with a drug. So Gregory looks like a ghost. And then now here comes this beautiful woman out of nowhere. You know, she's that ray of sunshine that I needed in that moment because I was starting to drift too far. So mm. what do you think? Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Because um, he never really referred to Greg Brooks as Gregory. So it's almost like right. he's trying to code it a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, it makes sense. I mean, Wally and, and Greg were, his, you know, I think he considered them friends. Um, people that he could rely on his confidant, so to speak, around this time. He mm -hmm. kept him on for years in the 80s, you know, as part of his his entourage or, as you know, his touring band. So that makes sense. And Gregory looks just like a ghost. Absolutely. Could mean, you know, when you're under the influence, people don't look like how they normally look like. You know, I mean, you, mm -hmm. you have images in your head that aren't really there. You see things right. that aren't really there. So I, I like that interpretation, even though, like you said, it is a, a bit of a divisive uh, kind of conversation to have. But I think it's it's important, especially since this is this is a this whole album is is a reaction to stuff that happened, you know, a couple months ago at the mm -hmm. time or less than a couple months ago. In some cases, weeks, yeah. weeks ago. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the stuff he's probably kind of little, maybe a little bit freaked out about what, yeah. what he did and what he experienced and really feels like he needs to make amends in some way, or at least denounce it in some way. And then the beautiful girl, the most wets her lips and say, I mean, sure. Could he be talking about Ingrid here? Maybe. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. if you want to put an actual person, but it also could just mean that, you know, the beautiful girl could be anesthesia still. Mm -hmm. the, the character that he uses to represent this pain numbing uh, effects that she has on him. We could live for a little while. If you just learn to smile, you could, you and I could fly away, fly away. Maybe it's a little bit more of like anesthesia, just trying to lure the character into darkness further through beauty, through mm. promises of, of great things. Uh, I don't know. It could be, could be just another, another tactic 
of of spooky electric to uh <laughs> lure prince away from the light into darkness through through her her um you know luring ability her like her siren song so to speak yeah 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 that, that that's that's a great that's a great uh observation there it reminds me of what kendrick lamar went through on the Tempepa butterfly album he would reference uh lucifer as lucy lucy would take on the form of the things that he wanted the most and that was a tactic to keep him in the darkness and to keep him in bondage uh, instead of seeking Christ or seeking uh, a higher level of understanding on how to navigate, you know, the highs and lows of life. So uh, that's extremely possible that anesthesia is, you know, saying, hey, you know, you know we, we could fly away, you know, just, you know, just, you know, just stick with me kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that, that's a great observation. Thanks. Thanks. Another thing I wanted to bring up, and I don't know, this is just more of a kind of a interesting aside, not that I think it has a lot of meaning to the song at all, but I did want to bring it up because I thought it was kind of interesting. So Gregory, you know, could be Greg Brooks. It could just be somebody made up. But nevertheless, what was the pseudonym that Maite used when she checked into the hospital to give birth? Gregory. Oh, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Oh Gregory. my gosh, I forgot about that. Wow, man, what did they need for that? That's why the rumor was that Prince and Maite's child was named Boy Gregory, because wow. that's the pseudonym that she used to check into the hospital, and because the baby didn't have a name yet or wasn't publicized with a name, Amir had not been communicated to the the public people just ran with boy Gregory as being like the official birth certificate name that Prince and Maite gave their son. Uh, it, it, it might just be. So again, I don't know. I think the connections are loose, but it's there. Maybe um, Prince influenced her to like, Oh, you know, it would be a great pseudonym Gregory. Maybe it was Maite's idea. I don't know. I'd have to ask her. And I don't think I probably will, but yeah. it's a little, it's a little rough period. That's something that's a little yeah. personal from a stranger yeah. coming like, why did you choose Gregory when you checked in to have, give birth to your son? So I won't be doing that, but it is something yeah. that I want to throw out there. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because again, you know, to some that may be a loose, uh, loose interpretation of that. But to me, it's a it's a princely Easter egg to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, this could possibly connect to this. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can learn to love. I mean the right way. Okay, so after that, then we do get the chorus again, and the chorus is the same. Anesthesia, come to me, talk to me, ravish me, liberate my mind, tell me what you think of me, praise me, craze me out the space and time. And then after the chorus, then we get, this is like where the the song starts to change a little bit. He's got a bit of an interlude here. He says, maybe, maybe, maybe I could learn to love. I mean the right way. I mean the only way. Perhaps could show me, baby. And then we get the uh, piece of the chorus again. But before we move on to the next grouping of lines and like the interlude or breakdown, however you want to call it. So here, Prince screams kind of like maybe, maybe, maybe. It almost sounds like baby, baby, baby if you're not paying yeah. attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I, either way, it kind of works, but maybe it works a little bit better because he's saying, I could learn to love. So maybe I could learn to love which tells me maybe he's had difficulties in his past loving in the right way, the only way, as he says, Mm -hmm. as opposed to loving for the moment or loving 
selfishly loving uh you know the physical aspects and not not love in the way that he feels like is uh more equal or something that you know god would approve of i guess mm-hmm. i don't i don't really know like what the right way is to love but i think it's one of those things like if you if you are experiencing that you know it's right or not like you don't it's hard to explain but when you're in it you know if it's the right kind of love or not i feel yeah i don't know what yeah. do you, what do you think about that what do you think yeah, about these I'm, lines in general no yeah yeah i'm i'm right there with you i i, I think you're on the, the the right train of thought there um and and as a man of christian faith myself i see a lot of uh king solomon uh in in prince's character in this song king solomon was uh you know uh, someone that was you know wealthy family you know famous had uh, all kinds of privileges that others didn't and uh his father was david who you know slayed goliath and all that stuff but his father david was a man after god's own heart and that's why you know david became the great king that he was now he still wrestled with you know temptations and things like that but king solomon was reminded that you know that you know in order for me to understand what true love is i need to be seeking god's own heart and i think that's what prince is saying here is that for me to understand what true love is not selfish love as you mentioned but what is true love i, I need to seek after you know you know wh- where does love come from and prince comes to the realization that you know it's it's something beyond himself that that he's going to have to get figure out the true definition of love from yeah yeah good point um, I think that works for me too, and I think it it matches the kind of the intent of the song and where it's ultimately going. So he also says later on the breakdown, there's a little bit of an instrumental piece and then he says a couple of lines of the chorus again but then he says he kind of repeats the maybe baby maybe i could learn to love if it was just closer to something closer to your higher self i don't know closer to heaven maybe closer to god yeah closer to god and this is kind of when we start to he starts the the character the prince is playing in this song prince or whomever mm-hmm. it is you you get the sense that he's now starting to figure out what it is that he needs to do here how he needs to find what's missing in his life closer to god so that closer to heaven closer to god starting to starting to get it i guess <laughs> yes for for lack of a better word like he's starting to understand i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah he he is uh the there's a, a much uh different much deeper kind of desire that's awakening in him in this moment uh, you know during this part of the song and um Again, I think that speaks to on a universal level. Everybody's had that realization of like, okay, you know, like the, the, you know, there's got to be something more to life than than what I'm doing. Like, there's got to be something better. I think we're all internally wired that way to have to look within ourselves and be like, okay, you know, am I, you know, is is there something off? with me and if so what do i need to do to to fulfill that hole in my heart or that that emptiness in my soul and then like you said it's all starting to come together where it's starting to make sense to him yep i agree i agree 
Okay, so then moving on, we get now, you know, as he talked about, he's he's starting to figure things out. He's starting to figure out what he needs out of life, uh, the direction he needs to go. And these are kind of expressed more clearly here in this next verse. Save me, Jesus, I've been a fool. How could I forget you are the rule? You are my God, I am your child. From now on, I shall be wild. I shall be quick, I shall be strong. I'll tell your story no matter how long, no matter no matter. Okay, so now, like I said, he he's basically, um, you know, confessing in a way. He's apologizing in a way. Mm-hmm. He's asking for forgiveness, asking for saving. Uh, he said, literally says, "Save me, Jesus! I've been a fool." And this is, um, you know, kind of like somebody hits rock bottom and and they they finally figured out in their mind what they need to do to change their life or to make things better whatever that is and in this this song from the perspective that prince is singing it's it's through god it's through jesus christ and and mm-hmm. this is very clearly like he's not using uh kind of you know um prince made up terms yeah he's not talking about d elevator or spooky electric or anything like that he's saying jesus and god right very clear mm-hmm as day in this and uh that's i think is important because this is one of those albums where he pretty much lays his his uh faith bare and mm-hmm. no pun intended <laughs> i guess but um, when you think about the, the album cover but um yeah i think this is him really explicitly stating stuff that he had been kind of not necessarily tiptoeing around but being kind of careful about which songs he he was overtly religious in and which songs that he wasn't this is the this is the centerpiece this isn't a b-side like god this isn't uh you know an album closer like temptation this is like smack dab in the middle of the of the record this is mm-hmm. the theme of the album love sexy save me jesus i've been a fool this is in my mind i'm listening to this and like all the stuff that he's been singing about throughout this song and you can even think about stuff that happened in his life before the, you know the verses of this song this is his i've i want saving i want to be a better person and i'm gonna do that through god yeah uh you you summed it up uh perfectly i i, I don't know if i can <laughs> i don't know if i can add anything more to that without sounding redundant okay well then i won't ask you to then <laughs> <laughs> but no uh I, uh here here's here's one thing i will say is that uh, again as as a man of christian faith i've had that i i vividly remember that moment happening to me when i was 19 of uh you know there was so much brokenness in my life you know uh growing up without my dad around uh you know dealing with the pressures of being uh you know half black and half white uh you know i didn't quite know where i fit in uh you know and then uh, I started developing vitiligo when I was 12. And, you know, when you're in middle school, kids have no filter on top of, you know, your body's changing and you go from talking like this to talking like this. And, you know, you're just, you're just going through so many changes. And, uh, and after all of that, you know, I finally, my soul was exhausted. I was just saying, okay, like I, I can't seem to figure this out. Like I need to find peace in some sort of way. Otherwise I'm going to drive myself crazy. And when I accepted Christ into my heart, when I was 19, I just remembered the, the immediate 
sense of relief I got from it because I, I knew that I truly got it. It wasn't like, okay, like I'm just dumping it into something else. And, and now I'm, you know, I'm going to move on to something else. Like I vividly remember that moment and felt the conviction. I felt the joy that came from it of like, okay, I kept trying to find all these different answers and I was ultimately unfulfilled. And now that I finally found it, this is where I need to root my identity. This is where I need to root my foundation. Um, so that it seems as if Prince is going through, or whether it's Prince or Prince's character uh, through this song, that's that moment, that aha moment of things clicking in his head of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it, um, it really is relevant for the song and relevant for this part of the song specifically. I get a lot of imagery of, of, you know, the, the character Prince is playing or Prince himself in, in this moment, kind of like feeling desperate, broken on his knees. Like he's, like he's praying and saying these words as he's praying. Like you have, I get imagery of like him has hands folded okay. and looking up to God and basically saying what, what he's saying here in this, uh, this, this verse and this breakdown. Uh, regretful for choices made because he says then later we're just a play in your master plan now my lord i understand and right right after that you know we get like this musical swell and mm -hmm. then we get basically the, the the huge catharsis i mentioned cathartic moment of the song but it really comes now i mean we don't get that until this moment in the song Love is God, God is love. Girls and boys love God above. Very simple, but it's repeated over and over and over. Um, and it's it's done in a way that it it, it kind of feels like it's it's a it turns it into a like a gospel song in a way, especially mm -hmm. with this part, I think. That's a lot of yeah. how I feel about the song and how I feel about its performance. It's very joyful. Uh, like I said, the music swells, you get more voices, you know, you get, you get Sheila and Bonnie and Kat and, you know, it just feels like a choir in some ways singing this mm. all together and very harmonious. And uh, it's a, it's a feel good moment. Even if you're not super religious, like mm -hmm. you could still feel good in this moment, knowing how good it's supposed to make you feel and how good the people who are singing it feel to sing it you can't help but feel good about it even if even if it's you know not your not your bag you know you're not an overly religious person it's really hard to not feel good about this song in this moment of the song yeah yeah uh again well stated uh i've played this song for friends of mine who are atheist or even agnostic or or they subscribe to a, a different um ideology when it comes to their faith and they've all come back and said wow like this is some powerful stuff and again i think it's it, it's because prince found a fine line of being able to profess his you know his understanding of god or, or spirituality without coming across as too preachy or 
or Bible thumping or like trying to oppress someone else's faith. It's just him making this profession of like, you know, like, you know, love is God, God is love, girls and boys love God above. Like whether you're, you know, five years old, 55 years old, whatever, like no matter how old you are, people can understand that on a, on a fundamental level. Um, so I think that's what gives the song that global appeal uh, that, you know, regardless of where you are in your life, anybody can understand that simple statement, that mantra is it, just, it's, it's heart bursting. Like, you know, like you said, when he starts, when he's saying it himself, and then you add the layers on top of it uh, with, you know, with Bonnie, Sheila, Kat, it just becomes this massive wall of sound that you can't help but, you know, feel overjoyed, you know, for him and, and, and even for yourself, if you're able to connect with it in that way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now that we've gotten this message, love is God, God is love, it, it gives us a new outlook on the word love. And this is, the, you know, I think this is going back to referring to he wants to love in the right way, the only way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through God, because in Prince's mind, especially communicated in this song, but I think even probably before this song, he's considered both to be on equal equal footing like he doesn't put god above love or love above god they're kind of on the same level because he he experiences god through love that's what i think this is obviously saying um or maybe not obviously but what it's saying in my mind is he experiences god through love and love through god and there's they're in inseparable in many ways in his mind and especially if it's love in the right way which is what he strives for in the song and the lyrics of the song and has clearly been striving for for a while basically ever since uh, i kind of cite like the purple rain tour as being <laughs> the, the moment where i think this side of prince was really struggling to get out because uh, he had that whole interlude during the purple rain tour mm -hmm. with the god section and it wasn't just like really brief either it was like five six minutes of of this uh you know, theatrics of him mm -hmm. talking to God. And it, and it's about this. It's about, you know, relying on sex in place of love, not understanding love's place in the universe uh, between mm -hmm. human beings and also how that relates back to, you know, how we can relate to God through through the love of, of one another, love for one another. So this, it took four years maybe for him to finally put it out there in a, in a song as clearly and uh, eloquently written as anesthesia, but um, you know, never too late. Right. Better right. Late, better late than never. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, everything you said is spot on and, and I'm reminded of uh, other stuff that I've read about Prince. Uh, he grew up in a seventh day of Venice church and um, that, uh, denomination of the church is very similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses that he would later convert to in, uh, in 2001, of course, shape, you know, the Rainbow Children and other records after that. But uh, the, the, the basis of that, of that denomination tends to be, we're in the end times, there's a lot of doom and gloom. But one of the things, one of his takeaways from, from being, you know, growing up in church was, you know, finding a lot of joy through music. And um, I think that he's always wrestled with that ever since he was a child up to this point. 
And now it's all crystallized for him to be like, okay, you know, I understand, you know, what love is. I know, I understand what sex is, you know, it, it comes from God, it belongs to God and it continues to exist because of God. You know, that that's, that's why I'm here. You know, that's why all of us are here. You know, in some way we, we, we got here because our, our parents hooked up, you know, that kind of thing. So as, as Christians, or even if you're not a Christian at all, the topic of sex should not be an uncomfortable conversation. You know, they're, they're one and the same and they both come from, come from God and it's good. It's good to talk about those things. So I think that's, uh, that's all encompassed in this song. It's encompassed in the record and especially the, the world tour. If you, if you, you know, if, for those that are listening and we're fortunate to see it in real time, I'm, you know, somewhat envious in a way. Cause I'm like, man, I wish I could have seen that, but um, but you see him wrestling with those things and, and also, you know, looking at, listen to uh, his first, you know, nine records leading up to Love Sexy, his understanding of of lust and sex is like, you know, he's growing and he's understanding, um, you know, both love and sex and what they should mean, you know, so he's figuring this out in real time and putting it on wax and capturing it there. And then now when we get to to Love Sexy, he now understands the value of both, both love and sex. And I think that it was genius of him to put it together in that way and be like, okay, well, I know I'm being a little provocative here, but it's coming from a pure place. So there's room for both and, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was he's growing up right, right in front of us through these albums. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a very young man's outlook towards sex on the early stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just didn't have... It was more lust driven. It was more hormone driven. <laughs> you get, you get yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, which is, you know, I mean, that's every man. He's not oh, unique. Yeah. Um, we all, we all kind of learn oh, as we age uh, how to control control some of those animal instincts, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, and he at this time, you know, he's about to turn thirty. hadn't quite turned thirty yet, but he was pushing thirty at this time. Right. So he's no longer, you know, uh, of that extreme youthful age that he was when he was recording songs like soft and wet and um you know sexy dancer and stuff like that so mm-hmm. he he was he was learning and he was expressing his his learnings at, in real time as um you know he was kind of understanding himself he would create songs about that and so he's like i just learned this thing man i need to write a song about it <laughs> yeah it <laughs> this is amazing i just i just figured this out for myself so guess what i'm gonna write a song about it yep and and I'm so glad that you brought up the maturity aspect of it because again I'm I'm thinking about it as someone who's going to be turning 32 in a few weeks. You know the things that you know or the way that I look at life now is vastly different from how I looked at it when I was 20, 21, 22. Like it was a constant process of of me understanding life and and how I fit within it, and then what do I need to do to make sure that I'm maintaining a healthy perspective of the things that matter in life. And with Prince, he was going through the same thing, and his release or, or his avenue for that was through his music. Mm-hmm. There's no arrested development when it comes to Prince's music. Right. Mm-hmm. You see it and you hear it, him maturing on each album. So mm-hmm. you know, he's, not, he's not repeating himself, not singing about the same five topics that he did when he was 20 all throughout his right. 30s, 40s, and 50s. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, that that was really, really well said, Chris. A uh, nice way to kind of close out the episode. Do you have any final thoughts or anything that you didn't get a chance to communicate about the song throughout uh, while we're doing the episode? 
Yeah, um, I was going to share like a quick criteria because, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this on Twitter. Whenever we, whenever I get into uh, a musical discussion about Prince, if we're talking about songs or albums, I like coming up with a criteria to really, you know, encompass, you know, the best parts of Prince. And if a song or an album can check all those boxes, then that lets me know, okay, this is among the best of the best. Um, so the criteria that uh, that I have for, you know. Prince songs or Prince albums, uh, it, it, there's a few things here. Um, one is, uh, you know, Prince was known for blurring the musical styles, you know, taking any genre and build, bending it to his will. Um, he was a cinematic storyteller. You know, he had some guitar hero moments, you know, throughout the song, you know, and then uh, he's able to uh, show, you know, limitless vocal range. Uh, and then he also has the ability to appeal to the masses. It's not like he only spoke to American audiences. I mean, a lot of Europeans gravitated to this album far better than the Americans did at that time. Um, and then there's just that little touch of, of the bizarre, you know, like Prince was known to like, you know, kind of do things sort, you know, kind of left to center to make you catch your attention. And um, when you go down that checklist, anesthesia checks all the boxes. Uh, so that's why I would say that not only is it the best song on this record, uh, but it is, you know, for me, it's a top 10, top 15 song all time in this entire catalog. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I this is my, I mean, I, I wrestle between this and, and Alphabet Street just because Alphabet Street's so, so damn funky. <laughs> I just, it is, yes. Such a great song. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, this song has a, a, bigger message of course than alphabet street alphabet street's more fun than it is uh deep or insightful this song is like i said it, it's it's got a goosebump moment right i mean not every not every prince song has a goosebump moment mm -hmm. and the song has that um which elevates it a bit in my mind even even though it's not a big hit or one of the songs that people cite constantly when talking about Prince's best compositions or best songs, mm -hmm. but it's place on love, sexy it's place in his career. This is kind of like a line in the sand almost in some ways where from this moment on Prince isn't afraid to talk about religion. Isn't afraid to talk about not that I'm saying he was afraid before because he clearly did. All right. I'm definitely not saying love sexy was the first time he ever talked about God. No, obviously not. But, uh, I think at this point on, he's less concerned about maybe where it's how it's going to come across by from anybody. Um, he is open about. I mean, like the whole tour, the whole tour is about kind of like this this um, search for something bigger and better for himself and and learning from mistakes and figuring out. You know, God is the way for him. Like this is this is his path. He's not he's not again trying to be preaching, saying like if you don't believe this, you're a bad person, or you're wrong. This he's just right. saying this is how I have figured out where I need to, how I need to live my life, and how I'm going to approach, you know, potential future relationships through God or through, um, you know, through Jesus Christ. And 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 now, that's my that's my path like this whole like graffiti bridge the whole album and movie more specifically it kind of feels like the sequel to love sexy in some ways mm -hmm. so this is not something he just did for one album and then moved on to the next thing 
And that's that's why anesthesia is so important to me. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and what you what you just said is, is spot on as far as the influence of this song uh, and this album in general. It, it would go on to shape uh, much of his catalog after that, like you said, the, the Graffiti Bridge album and movie. Um, you know, uh, the song "And God Created Woman" from Love Symbol album. I mean, like, there's countless songs after this that you could see him, you know, exploring more of God in his work. And um, there's a uh, there's a moment in a uh, in a documentary. I think it's called uh, "Prince of Musical Portrait." And uh, there's a fan after the show. He's talking about you know how the show went and stuff. And he said, "For a guy to be on stage and to get people to shout, you know, love is God, God is love back to him, you know, you feel compelled to say it back to him, even if you don't believe it. You you respect the fact that he is." You know, he's convicted in that way to share it with people like he's sharing it, not demanding it of you. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's a really important point to make, because otherwise it's a fine line, right? It's a very fine line. Absolutely. And people who aren't, you know, as religious or don't have the same ideologies can easily and quickly get turned off if they feel like they're being preached to mm -hmm. or if they feel like they're being spoken down to or judged. And yeah. Uh, just, I mean, that just speaks to the fact that he didn't do that. Otherwise, there would have been a lot more resistance to repeating these lines or even just like attending the concert. Like if word got out, like this was this was a concert all about Jesus and God. And, and if Prince spent 10 minutes talking down to you, if you didn't believe that yeah. the word would get out and people might have been turned off and didn't attend. But this was a really successful concert from an attendance standpoint. So I don't believe yeah. that that was the case at all. Yeah, there was. Um, uh, yeah. And, and what, what you said I, definitely connects with me is uh, early on in my faith. I, I I was so, you know, hyped up on Jesus that I wanted to share with everybody. But I, I needed time to kind of mature in my approach because there were times that I would come across as doing like, no, like you need to believe this. I need you to understand it. But then I then over time after, you know, you know, leaving a bad taste in some people's mouths, I, I, I realized like, OK, Chris, like there was a time that that you didn't get it. And if someone were talking down to you, would you give them the time of day? Heck no, I wouldn't do that. So it's a matter of simply just you know planting the seed you can't control what condition the soil is in if it's soft soil it'll take it if it's hard then it won't take it but that's out of your control all you can do is just share wh what what you know to be true and if people get it great if they don't they don't you know don't don't try to beat it beat them across the head about it you know so mm -hmm. that that i think that's why this record is so special and i think that's why even if you're not a believer you still gravitate to it because this the sheer amount of joy that comes from this song and this record in general it's contagious and you're like man like whatever he's got i want some of that and if that's what god is then maybe i maybe i need to give this a shot you know if i if my way's not working and i i want to experience the joy that he's feeling hmm. yeah very well said very well said yeah all right. Well, thank you, Chris, so much for for the conversation on this episode. It's a it's an important episode, so I yeah, appreciate your you. insight. I I want to give you an opportunity to share what you're up to with the listeners and maybe where people can find you and talk Prince or talk God or talk whatever. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Why don't you throw it out? Um, there? 
Yeah, as far as the projects I'm working on, uh, uh, th there is a three-part article I'm working on for Love Sexy 35, and um, it's gonna—it's shaping up to be my most ambitious project yet. Um, but the working title is "How Prince Brought Sex Back to the Church," and um, the the whole premise of it is that I, I want to help make the words "God" and "sex" le less awkward for people. Um, and I think Prince was able to do that on this record. So I'm going to unpack how uh, Prince did that and how we should look at ourselves and the topics of God and sex going forward. Uh, hopefully it'll be a, you know, a great conversation for people to have. Um, and then let's see, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, my name is spelled C-H-R-I-S-L-A-C-Y uh, on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is uh, Chris Lacey. Nine zero, and then uh, Instagram is Chris Lacey nineteen ninety. So it's uh, Chris Lacey one nine nine zero on Instagram. Okay, great. Thank you again so much. Uh, Appreciate it, and hopefully we'll be on another episode again before too long and do this again. I had a great time. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that very much. Thank you. So this has been the Press Rewind, Prince Dirk's podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can find the show at Press Rewind Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, also on YouTube. So check out what I'm doing there as well if you're into the YouTube thing. Uh, Discord, I've got a Discord server if you would like or you like using that uh, platform to talk. We, we chat about Prince, we share stuff on there. Uh, if you have any questions about episodes, you can shoot them to me that way. And uh, PressRewind.net is my website, and I post episodes there, and as well as uh, any kind of writing that I do about music. Not always about Prince, but 90% of it is, <laughs> especially these days now that i got a show. Um, so thanks to listeners, thanks to Chris, and until next time, goodbye.